You are listening to the Inside the Newsroom podcast, a look at how your Niagara Daily newspapers bring you the news. I'm your host, Grant LaFleche. The legendary Washington Post journalist Bob Woodward has said, everyone has their own version of the truth, but there are facts, there is reality. Getting at those facts, at that reality, is what newspapering is all about. But in an era of political spin, social media manipulation, and a contracting news media, reality can be anything but self-evident, and it can be very difficult to assess. Which is why investigative journalism today is perhaps more important than it's ever been. So that's what this podcast is about, giving you an inside look at how journalists at the St. Catherine Standard, the Niagara Falls Review, and the Welland Tribune go about doing their jobs to again quote Bob Woodward, reach the closest version of the truth possible. We're going to start by looking at how investigative journalism works. I recently published a story about how Niagara Region's Chief Administrative Officer was hired in 2016. The investigation found that critical and confidential information about candidates for the job was leaked during the application process to Carmen D'Angelo, the man who eventually got the $230,000 a year job. And we also found that information was contained in a secret memo that was written by Rob Damboise, the policy director of regional chair, Alan Caslin. That story has triggered a full, independent investigation into what happened in 2016. While political events in Niagara continue to play out, there has been a great deal of reader interest in how we got the story. So in this podcast, I'm going to talk to you about our months-long investigation and how it made it to print. However, to give you a better understanding of how investigative journalism works, I'll also be talking to some of my colleagues about their work. We're going to be talking to The Standard's political, uh, regional political reporter, Bill Sawchuk, whose investigative profile of Robert Megna of the Bayshore Groups earned him an Ontario Newspaper Award in 2015. And we're also going to hear from The Standard City Hall reporter, Karina Walter, whose 2012 investigation into the All-Canadian Kitchen scandal earned her a National Newspaper Award nomination. I'm Grant LaFleche, and you're listening to Inside the Newsroom. It was cloak and dagger from the start. Newspaper investigations begin in any number of ways. Tips from readers, a government report, a breaking news event. But in the case of our regional CAO investigation, it began with a little bit of mystery. In 2017, I was contacted by a source who said he knew someone who wanted to talk to me. Now, he wouldn't say who this person was, nor exactly why they wanted to talk, other than there was some information that I might be interested in. So began a couple of weeks of cat-and-mouse messages, communicating to this mystery source through an intermediary. I wasn't getting anything close to the full picture, and it was all kept a little vague. But the messages did indicate two important things. One, that this mysterious source was a whistleblower, and two, this person had information about the regional government that this person felt that the public should know. It was enough of a nibble for me to investigate further, and after a few more messages and a chat over Skype, the whistleblower and I began to talk more earnestly over a highly secure encrypted email system. Now, for those who aren't familiar, this is called PGP, or Pretty Good Privacy Email, and it has become one of the most valuable tools that journalists have in the digital age. It allows sources to share sensitive information with us without the risk of anyone being able to access or read their communications. 
The system uses two keys to encrypt information. Uh, the first key is used by the sender, and it encrypts the message so that should it be intercepted, it can't be read. The second key is mine, and I use it to decrypt the message after I receive it. This way, the data that anybody's sending me remains secure. If it was intercepted mid-message, it wouldn't be read, and you can't decrypt it unless you have my decryption key. Now, this has changed the way journalists can get at confidential information or communicate with confidential sources. When Bob Woodward needed to talk to Deep Throat during the Watergate investigation, he had to put a flag in a flower pot on the balcony of his Washington apartment. And then when Deep Throat saw it, the pair would meet in an empty parking garage. Now, while late-night, out-of-the-way meetings with sources still happens, and it certainly did with our regional CAO story, Reaching out to confidential sources can now be done with the click of a mouse. I started using a PGP email after I wrote a story about the Burgoyne Bridge audit in March 2017. The $500,000 report was being kept secret by regional council, but councillors were claiming the report was as explosive as the most serious public work scandals in Canada, including those in Quebec where criminal charges were eventually laid. Well, when we got our hands on the report, it found that while there were serious problems with the region's internal procedures, it made no claims of criminality, and to date, no charges had been laid. The regional government had gone through some serious lengths to keep the report secret, and it became clear to us that we needed a better way for sources, particularly in Niagara's current political climate, to share information that we needed in order to inform the public about what the government was doing. I set up that PGP email account, and it has proved to be a vital link of information for several stories in the last year and a bit, including stories we've done on government expenses, ethics, and land deals. And in the case of the CAO investigation, it was a very important means to communicate with sources and open the door to accessing critical documents we wouldn't have got otherwise, including the secret memo at the heart of the story. But this isn't how every newspaper investigation gets started. Each investigation is unique, and the triggering event that sends a journalist down a road to investigation tends to be different. And how those investigations are conducted is also different. In my case, I was using encrypted emails and meeting with sources at odd hours at out-of-the-way places, but this is not always the case. So I sat down with Bill Sawchuk and Karina Walter to talk about how their award-winning investigations got underway. Okay, so we are back, and we are with uh, reporters uh, Bill Sachuk, who is our region reporter at the moment, and Karina Walter, who is assigned to cover St. Catharines City Hall. But of course, we all end up covering things that are not in our immediate assigned duties because of the size of our newsroom. Um, and as I said in the introduction, we're looking at how we do our jobs, and specifically kind of pulling back the curtain a little bit so that our readers understand the methods we use, how we use sources, how we go uh, about our investigations. And the three of us have all had um, our fair share of, of big investigations, but I wanted to talk to you two in particular because uh, you both have had award-nominated uh, investigations. Bill, you have to remember, remind me how long ago this was, but you did the big profile on Robert Megna when Bayshore moved into St. Catharines. You got an Ontario newspaper award. And then, Karina, you did uh, your... Uh, investigation of the Canadian Kitchens scandal, uh, which ran when? Uh, that was 2012. Right, and you got a National Newspaper Award nomination for that 2013 for the work done in, in 2012. Yes. 
So uh, the first question, maybe we can start with you, Bill, is um, when when we do these types of stories, uh, they're, they're a whole other animal than our usual kind of within eight to 12 hours news hits that we're writing every day where we're calling a couple of sources or checking out, a, in, you know, in the case of politics, maybe checking out a, a government report and writing about it. Um, from your point of view, what is what is different about the time investment it takes and the energy it takes to bring something like your Magna profile uh, to, to print? It's apples and oranges compared to our regular uh, job that we do. Uh, the Magna thing came out of literally a envelope that was sent to the newspaper um, saying, you know, you need to look into this guy and a, a number of articles from other papers and some information have been clipped out and put together anonymously. Uh, Robert Megna was a, a very successful businessman who had come to town and had, that he had bought the GM property and announced a major, you know, kind of development for that. And it was, people were quite excited about it because it was going to be something spectacular where we had an old industrial brownfield site uh, and you know th that was in a sense telling people what they wanted to hear and then as that was happening we were also getting information from a couple different sources and this this package that arrived uh, anonymously that uh, you need to have a look at this guy before you kind of uh, get into bed with him in terms of working with them and what's happening in the community and that as that we began to unfold that and look into some of the things that had come because you, you always have to be careful there's people mm -hmm. with axes to grind in your case karina when you started i mean maybe walk us through if you can remember how canadian kitchens got started for you i mean bill so bill in the case of the magna thing gets it gets a essentially brown bag anonymous envelope with a bunch of information that gets him going what was the entry point for that story for you. It started with uh, somebody calling the newsroom, or maybe the email, I can't remember, to our, to our news editor uh, to complain about a company. And I mean, we get those kinds of calls on a fairly yeah. regular basis where somebody's unhappy. Sometimes it's the customer service they've received. Sometimes they're in a dispute with uh, their cell phone provider, or, That's right. or uh, their television company, or something like that. And, and yeah, the, 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 the shrimp was bad at the restaurant. I want you to do a yeah, story. So, Sometimes they're legitimate concerns. They're always very important to the person who calls, but they're not always necessarily a news story. Some of it is just, you know, day-to-day -day business and the way it goes. And there's, um, you know, you have uh, uh, complications with businesses on a regular basis, right? So we, we might look into something, but it doesn't always pan out to be an actual story that would be of interest to all of our readers. So what made this one different when you, when you when that complaint came from our editor to you what made it you think oh maybe this is worth spending a little bit more time well, on well it was a couple that had hired a company to do renovations at their house and they really hadn't seen the results that they that they had uh, signed up for they had ordered a brand new kitchen they didn't have a countertop they didn't have kitchen doors um, there were a lot of problems in their house. Uh, they had a shower where the tiles had been put in and the water was flowing out of the shower as opposed well, to that's down right. the drain. <laughs> um, they had pot lights that were put in that the fire uh, department came and said were a fire hazard. So there was a lot of problems there. So I went to just take a look and see what they were saying and whether they were true. And it was quite um, you know, interesting to go to their house and, and check it out. Uh, and then you have to call the fire department to 
make sure you know that they were actually there that they did a call there and that kind of thing and then this couple had talked to another couple who were also customers of the same company uh, who were also having problems so then it was just reaching out to those people as well and through that we started to um, to learn about more and more people who who had used this company uh, and who weren't getting the results that they had wanted. Now there was a point well, in... And that, that they deserved, I should say, because yes. this was a scam. Like overall, this was a total fraud. So you, you start off with, with one customer that leads you to two customers, and then you mm -hmm. start... I mean, I, I remember you had this... You eventually had this long list of people who had been essentially defrauded um, by this company. Mm -hmm. But it, it, there, there is an interesting kind of comparison between your investigation in the Canadian Kitchens and Bills at, at Magna, which it, you, you also ended up getting... Uh, although it wasn't anonymous, but you did were able to get your hands on some very detailed information that pushed your investigation forward considerably. Yes, after the first story ran, and it had a lot of information in it, and I think at that point I had spoken with six victims, um, or victim couples. Um, I still had a list of a few others, and then after the first story ran, I did hear from um, somebody who, who knew who, some of the more customers, basically a customer list for this company. So um, I was able to go through that and contact 50 more victims. And what was that process like for you in terms of you, you now have this list and you got to go through each one? Uh, I mean, this is the part of this job that, you know, doesn't usually get portrayed in the movies all that well, the, the kind of the less sexy boring bit but you have a list of names and phone numbers and you got to call through them I mean how onerous is that process to be able to reach out to all of them verify their information record their stories and then somehow use that in in because you did a series of stories this wasn't one hit this mm -hmm. was several stories over a, a yeah, lengthy period of time yeah. so it was a company that was based um, in Niagara but they're they were advertising online they were advertising in shoppers newsletters, not Shoppers Drug Mart, but like Shoppers News across the uh, province. And so they had customers in Mississauga and Cambridge and like all over Ontario. So a lot of these people, they hadn't heard about the first story. So as I'm calling them, a lot of them had no idea that police were now involved, that the people, at this point, the people from Canadian Kitchens had been charged. So I'm essentially calling people and telling them, you know, this money that you put down is, is is with a fraudulent company. You're not going to see that They didn't that know. Kitchen. Yeah, some of them didn't know, right? Yeah, a lot of them didn't know. And so it was just going through and, first of all, convincing them I was who I am, that I'm an actual reporter. I'm not some <laughs> weirdo trying to, like, look into their business, get yeah. their credit card number or something. Um, convince them who I am and then, and then find out from them, like, how far did they get in the process? Did they actually give Canadian Kitchens any money? How, what was Canadian Kitchens supposed to do at their, at their um, house? And, um, and then... Through that, I was able to kind of figure out like how many people had actually given money and, and sort of figure out how much money had been, so had it, been laid out. And what's interesting there is you were actually, in some respects, because the NRP, you just alluded to it, they had already started their own investigation by that point. But in some respects, you were ahead of them in terms of finding people who didn't know that they had been defrauded yet. And, and you were able to start tabulating totals that, that uh, you know, maybe the, the police investigators hadn't had quite yet. Yeah, in the beginning when I first started, um, you know, some of the victims had contacted the NRP too, so the fraud would, unit was looking into their claims. Um, and so when the first story ran, we actually pushed our deadline up because the NRP had just made an arrest. Um, our lawyers, because of course, well, as Bill and you would know, when you're doing an investigative piece, it has to be lawyered. 
very carefully. And we had, yes. we had lawyers who gave me a certain number of victims that I needed to interview and confirm all, you know, and check out their contracts and everything. And I, I think I was pretty close to the number we needed when the police um, made a charge. So at that point, we said, we're going to run this story right away. And, you know, we pushed our deadlines and I was writing it. Um, but then, yeah, after that, when I was going through the customer list that I had, that obviously there were people who hadn't been contacted by police yet mm -hmm. either because police were still working on other parts of their investigation or, um, or just hadn't found out about those people yet. And the issue of lawyering is, is interesting because, I mean, that's how we refer to it, right? Is, is the piece going to get lawyered? Has this been lawyered? Um, but and, and I think you had to go through some of that legal process when you did the the Magna piece, and you and I have certainly gone through it in the last couple of years. Um, just just for listeners who aren't familiar with that process, Bill, when you get to something like the Magna piece together, and your the, the story is either revealing stuff that is maybe unflattering to somebody or is making a specific allegation. I mean, it, it, just describe for people what that process of lawyering is like when we have to take what we've written and give it to the legal beagles uh, for review. Um, well. It I mean, ultimately, they pretty much have to sign off on what you're doing. Your, your, your publisher, your editor, isn't going to allow it into the paper until the legal people are satisfied that you know you have uh, covered your avenue and, and done a proper job. And the way the lawyers look at it is, how can I defend this in court if we do get sued over this? Um, because anybody can launch a lawsuit, whether it's you know. Um, going to be successful or not, it doesn't matter. If you have enough money, you can go and get a lawyer to file papers and start a, you know, a defamation or a libel um, suit. Uh, so the, in, in my case, um, I was dealing with someone who had a lot of money, and the, the possibility of being sued was you know, really strong. So I began working with the lawyers fairly early, even in terms of before I interviewed people finding out exactly what I needed to, to do to satisfy the kind of that overarching idea that you're not libeling someone, that you are, you know, you're doing your due diligence and you're, uh, you know, handling it in a professional manner. It's not just like a hatchet job. Uh, so I, and we had, uh, the, the lawyers we were working with at the time were really good in terms of kind of giving you a little bit of direction and saying, you know, okay, you need to ask him about this and this and this if we're going to get this this you know this this this, this thing in the air, <laughs> yeah. and, and and moving forward. So the in in the in the case of the the, the Magna story, I had contact with lawyers, and you know very early on in the process, some of the other things I did with the MPCA, the lawyers kind of almost came in at the end. Yep. But in this one, um, and I mean the problem with Magna was a lot of this stuff had happened 10, 15 years ago in other communities. You know, it had taken place in Toronto and in Barrie and some of it in Kingston. So I was, you know, working here and I, I, you know, trying to get hold of court papers and things like that to verify things we're saying. So that that was one of the more interesting things was it was kind of, uh, it was almost like doing a history project because you're trying to find people who, <laughs> yeah. you know, in 2000 were, you know, fairly prominent in Barrie or things like that, but oftentimes they moved on uh, and, you know, it's kind of like the, like peeling an onion. You get one little piece, mm -hmm. and then you pull pull back, and that leads you to another interview. And someone says, "Oh yeah, I know that guy. He moved to so and so." Uh, and the other thing with the Magna was I was kind of determined because it was so personal. I didn't want to use uh, anonymous sources if I could possibly mm -hmm. uh, do that. There have been times I have used anonymous sources, but in this case. Um, 
part of it was, yeah, you're going to say all these things about it, you know, that, that may be negative about someone or that may be taken in a negative light. You've got to put your, put your name behind it. Um, that's the only way this is going to work. You've been listening to Inside the Newsroom, a podcast by your Niagara Daily Newspapers, the St. Catherine Standard, the Niagara Falls Review, and the Welland Tribune. In our next episode, we're going to be looking at how journalists verify and confirm information during the course of an investigation and the challenges posed by anonymous sources. Now, if you have any ideas or questions about this episode, don't be shy about reaching out and sharing your thoughts. You can email your questions and ideas directly to me at grantlafleche at niagaradailies.com. Thank you for listening. As I said, I'm Grant Lafleche, And in the meantime and in between time, that's it for this edition of Inside the Newsroom.